I'm so glad to see that you're feeling better. You had a very close call. But you're gonna be all right. Now, just lie still. I'm gonna give you something. It's gonna make you feel even better. Welcome all you nerdy fucks to our new Motel Hell segment, which I've decided to call uh, the Bearded Dicks Musical Fun Time. Love that. Love that. This is a offshoot or spinoff of our main series. Uh, we decided to dedicate a little bit of time to Dick Fetty and I's I'm Ben the Beardo. Uh, I'm Dick Fetty. Shorter segments of Dick Fetty's Disco Box and Beardo Ben's Whatever Buys. <laughs> Best or worst. Best or worst. So part of the reason that we did this is the last episode we did, the last full episode with all the the, the tricks and whistles and bells and such the uh the weird news one i spent 30 minutes talking about fucking tech itch and i could spend 30 minutes talking about ticket tech itch on every episode but as i was editing it down i thought that's a lot of fucking time to talk about tech itch before we even get to the news and our news episode wound up being like two hours long which seemed an hour too long and we spent another good 20 minutes at the end of the episode talking about ben's bad buys and Maybe we're just wild, egomaniacal lunatics, but I think that the... I know, at least for myself, I care a lot about the the music I recommend, and I I think it's a fun part of what we do. And Ben, obviously, I think I can speak for you when I say you you like doing your best buys, right? I do, I do. So we figured, you know, we don't have a Patreon, we don't have bonus content or anything like that, and maybe... In the future, when we're super rich and we want to make even more money, we'll make these Patreon episodes. But for now, we'll just be posting, ideally on a weekly basis, and doing these as uh, episodes in between the weeks of the main episode. And please, let us know if you enjoy it. And if you don't, keep that shit to yourself. Yeah. If you don't... (coughs) Pardon me. If you don't, let us know why. And then keep it to yourself. So... (laughs) So do you do you want to open the the disco box first? I'll open the disco box first. So, Dick Fetty's disco box. Disco box. You opened it. We came. Ah, oh, never gets old. At least for me. So my disco box this week. I'm still in a, a very drum and bass place as far as my listening habits, and. Yeah, it's going to be all drum and bass again, but not all techage again. I'm switching it up. Oh my. Getting somewhat more modern. So my first Disco Box recommendation is actually in the Disco Box once before last year, maybe even twice, and it's one of the three best albums for me of 2017. It is Overlook's Smoke Signals, which came out on the British label UVB76 in 2017. It's a three-piece LP or rather it's three 12 inches. It's a long record. That's what I'm trying to fucking say. Awfully long record. Yeah, it's a a full-fledged album, and it's not just because there's got a little ambient interlude to start it and a little middle 
ambient interlude and then a little end interlude yeah uh, wow. and interlude's not the right word the, the middle would be the interlude and it's the prologue and the epilogue yeah. as it were but it has those so you know it's a serious album because any any electronic album has to start with a little ambient ditty and end with an ambient ditty or otherwise and then just throw one in the middle there. yeah and sort of to break it up which actually works and the album generally is quite cinematic in both its approach and in the way that it uses samples from film to give it uh, an additionally filmic quality, if, if I could say so. There, there's one song in particular that uses samples from David Lynch's Lost Highway, which one of my few skills, I guess, as a record listener and nerd about certain things has allowed me to pick out samples really quickly when I hear them. And not that Lost Highway is wildly obscure, but I haven't seen the movie in probably 15 years. And the first time I heard the song, I was like, holy shit, I think that's from Lost Highway. And I looked it up, and it was. And, uh, you know, it's not it's not anything to do with the main plot, basically. It's just this little little ditty. But the, the album starts off with a, a sort of more of an intelligent drum and bass feel. It's really, it's a, a focus on, like, source direct style, not the almond heavy productions of Tekich and, and Darkstep that I generally listen to, but instead uses a much more acoustic sounding drum samples and you know, whether they're programmed or versus their programmed samples, I couldn't really tell. I, I, I don't know Overlook's production process, but they just feel much more organic in the way that the drumming goes. Like somebody could have actually drummed this rather than it just being cut up almond breaks that are filtered and, and, and cut seven different ways in one song, which I love in Tekich, but this is a, this is an entirely different thing, and the bases again are not post rave, sawtooth synth style, heavy, synthy, brutal, brooding, whatever. It's none of that. It's way more of this this organic sounding, rounded, like heavy kind of like type of bases, and there are some more tech step oriented stabbings, you know, synth synth bases here and there, but a lot of it as it's much more of just like this sound of bass rather than a bass synth. Right. So it, it basically, the album builds as it goes along and goes from these more low key tracks that are again, reminiscent of, of classic period source direct into the sort of minimalist new drum and bass that's popularized by Samurai Music and 31 and some of the other labels that are, are uh, well, Kylon Recordings now, oddly enough, which is Loxy's label, and basically is this this drum and bass that takes out all the rave elements, or most of them, and really focuses on the essentials, the drum and the bass, and, and recapturing a late 90s intelligent type of a sound. Uh, but the production is especially more frenetic. It reminds me a lot of Shackleton, who is the famed sort of dubstep and then way past dubstep style producer. And he's, his drums and his songs are very much, um, they're programmed by hand. He does every single note, like they're no just samples or loops. And they're extremely detailed and they evolve over these four and five and six and seven minute tracks. And now he does like whole albums that are basically one song. And uh, there's a lot of that, it, 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 there's like a tribal feeling to it. That's really, really good. And um, there's a couple key collaborations on the album. One is with CERN. One is with Mono and the other is with Roughhouse, all of whom are label mates and Overlook's worked with in the past. 
all of the collaboration tracks are highlights for me, but there's another particularly noteworthy song, which is Traveling Without Moving, which in many ways reminds me of Dindike Stare or uh, Dindike Starry or however it's pronounced, which is this uh, post-dub sort of weird shit that was really big a couple years ago from the UK and has this just, like, it's the... The track title's perfect. It's like traveling without moving. And and the whole album screams to me of, of a need to listen to it under DXM or ketamine conditions. In it's, the dark. In the dark. No one else around to see your shame. Yeah, it is like definitely headphone music. It's definitely catatonic K-hole music. Um, you can absolutely dance to it. It's drum and bass. But it's really intricate and really like atmospheric. And, and it's just like, it's not delicate, but it's just... It's, everything is definitely done. None of it feels brutish. None of it feels obvious. And it just gets better and better as it goes along. And the one of the last songs is the track with Mono, which has this some classic rave samples in it. And one is this this sort of siren sounding, like thing in the background. But there's a breakdown in the later part of the song where they pitch shift it down and the drums get like mm. way crazier. And it's just... It's it's really good shit, and I, I probably went into some detail when I recommended this the first time, but this album has been heavily back on my turntable, and it's just fucking fantastic. It is it is really the best drum and bass album, I said it last time, since Diagnostics by Tekich for me, or uh, Exercise the Demons by Source Direct. I, of all the new drum and bass artists there, Pessimist album is very, very good, the new one that came out in last year as well. It's really exceptional, but Overlooks is just a little bit better. It's just really, really interesting and brimming over with ideas. And it's on a label that sells really limited stuff and uh, has a really expensive resale market. But the album is still available and still in press, or at least whatever copies left of the pressing are still available at at the normal cost. So if you have any interest in drum and bass, I hugely recommend picking it up before it becomes like $100 to own it because it's fucking awesome. Well, you sent me um, the Overlook album and I played video games to that and it was good and it was dark and it was just me and my couch with this blaring music and my wife being like, can you turn that down? Yeah. Yeah, I think the first time I showed you, we were driving back to your house at night and it was, you know, it's one of those where like, you get to where you're going and the song's not over and you're just not going to get out of the car until it's done because it's just got you. Yeah. Snares you in. No pun intended. Snares being drums. Yes. <laughs> That's quite good. Quite good. You know what? I intended that pun. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. I take full credit for that. Mm. So my, my next recommendation, I don't have to beat this horse too much, but uh, is Overlook's newer 12-inch that came out on UV... B76 as well this year called All of Them Witches and it came out in April of 2018 I just heard it recently I I didn't really realize that he had a new 12 inch, I know he did one I guess it maybe came out before Smoke Signals that was called Into the Night and the B-side was Scarlet, which is wildly out of print and stupid expensive although the tracks are really good so I can at least, you know, the music justifies the cost a little bit but this new one I just picked up, and while he samples movies in a lot of his tracks, I did not expect a sample for so recent a movie. And the title track samples um, 
The Witch, which we just recently reviewed for our, our Blair Witch slash Salem Witch <laughs> episode. And uh, I, I have to say that when I first heard it, I wasn't really a fan. I don't normally like to hear samples of, from movies that are recent and, you know, not have to be dug up as much. And The Witch wasn't like a blockbuster hit. You like to feel smart so you can find it. A, a little bit, a little bit, uh, admittedly. But it's also like, it seems a little too obvious sometimes. You know, like people sample, even in Power Electronics, like Terminator and stuff like that. And it's like, come on, dude. Like, this is, you can't take it out of the context of pop culture. And The Witch isn't pop culture per se. It's, you know, it's on the artier side of horror and all that. But when I first heard it, I wasn't in love with it. But I've listened to the EP many times since then. And I completely changed my mind, and I like can't wait for that part in the track yeah, to kick. That EP is incredible. Yeah. And to be fair, for us as like horror movie nerds and uh, people who've seen The Witch many times at this point, we know it. But there's plenty of people who I know who even like horror movies, maybe not as crazy as we are, but have never watched The Witch or even heard of it. Yeah. So like on the whole, for a lot of people, it's not as popular as it is from our perspective. I think. Yeah, true. I, you know, one of the bummers is when I was a kid growing up and into drum and bass and other genres, but especially drum and bass and especially Tekich who samples so much sci-fi, it was really hard to Google, you know, now you can type in a sample in a song, you'll Google it and then it'll come up as like quoted from whatever movie and you can know if it's from a movie and what it is right away. It used to be like, I'd have to watch a shitload of movies to try to figure it out. And some stuff was... Especially Tekich would sample things from BBC and from Doctor Who and from other shows that like we didn't even get over here. So it was always maddening. I was always dying to know. And if I watched a movie 10 years down the line and figured out what a sample was from, it was phenomenal. And, you know, all of that sort of takes away from the mystique a little bit. But it is what it is. Uh, there's another track on the album that I probably like better than the title song, uh, which is a collaboration, I believe, with Mono, but it might be CERN apologize for not knowing in advance but it is it has this percussion that's sort of this like not bongos but hand drum kind of sounding percussion that's pretty quick when it first comes in but then there's a it's not even a breakdown but there's sort of a a build up in the tension of the track and then the percussion goes into double time and it is fucking awesome like it is just it really reminds me of Shackleton in the way that he uses sort of ethnic sounding production but in a whole new way that removes the sort of like ethnic-esque world music sound and puts it into a new context where it's <coughs> just more of like an organic and ritualistic and and like intense sort of it, it connects to like a human experience a human genetic memory more than uh just evoking the idea of like being in africa or in the middle east or something and for that reason alone, I would I would recommend this EP just for that song. It's awesome. And again, this EP is not out of print yet. It is still pretty reasonable to get online. So pick this up before it sells out. How much is it running for? It's so it's a twelve inch from the UK. So it's like generally nine British pounds, which turns out to be like thirteen dollars right now, but plus shipping. So if you're just buying the record alone from the label or from a British distro, you're gonna spend like twenty bucks for the record at least, which is steep but buy a couple records at the same time and make the shipping worthwhile and the the last song on it is the aforementioned traveling without moving from smoke signals remixed by positive center who's a pretty interesting techno producer who's done one album and a handful of singles 
And the remix doesn't really top the original. It doesn't really come close, but it's a pretty solid remix and it would definitely fit well in a techno set more than the original would, uh, especially tempo-wise. But yeah, that's uh, my other recent discovery and, and highly recommended, all of them witches by Overlook. And then to keep it in line with the theme, especially as far as it relates to Overlook, I want to recommend one of the CDs that hasn't left my car in 10 years, and I've owned it for something like 16 or so, Source Direct's only album, Exercise the Demons, which isn't truly an album, it is in many ways a collection of tracks, but when Drum and Bass was seeming to become the next big thing in electronic music, there are a lot of labels that were quickly throwing money at the bigger artist trying to find that next big major label hit. They did it with Goldie, they did it with uh, Shy FX, if I remember correctly, they did it with Fotech, they did it, Prodigy doesn't really count, they were big beat, but they had some drum and bass influences and definitely had influence on drum and bass, and they did it with Source Direct. And so these major labels, Virgin in Source Direct's case, came in and said, here's a ton of money, make us a hit album, and they don't really understand that even in the, the mid-90s when drum and bass was at its peak, like you weren't going to probably sell a million copies of a fucking drum and bass album. Right. There, there's a huge audience, and there still is a huge audience for some of these records, but it just was never what the big labels hoped it would be, and pretty much everybody who got involved in a major label got screwed over and pissed off and all the rest. And this marked the end of Source Direct, essentially, because one of the members left after the recording of the album. And honestly, I feel like he could have left during it, because Source Direct is one of the most lauded names in drum and bass because their early releases, before they were even Source Direct and once they took the name, their releases on Metalheads and some other drum and bass labels at the time are all stone cold classic cuts. And they did what Mono, or rather Overlook does where they didn't focus on the Amen like so many other producers were doing. And they didn't have shitty tech step drums that were just super boring and repetitive they did really interesting drum programming and they took a huge influence from Kung Fu flicks and seemingly like jazz, down-tempo, smoky lounge music that like, you know, you would expect in movies like Le Samurai and things like that. They had a very distinct aesthetic and, and aesthetic to their sound and their releases that was this mixture of sci-fi and samurai and Kung Fu and like snakes and all sorts of cool shit. Samurai, if you will. Yeah, and in a similar way to Fotech, but even darker and even more cybernetic. And they actually had a track that was on the Wipeout XL soundtrack that wasn't featured in the game, but was on the, the soundtrack inspired by and music from the game type of thing, as they used to do a lot in the 90s. And uh, anyways, Exercise the Demons was, like I said, the sort of pseudo-album that they released. And the first song on it is called Call and Response. If you've ever seen the movie Blade, then you will hypothetically recognize it. It's the song that Steven Dorff is listening to it when he's sitting in the vampire archives trying to look up the stuff mm -hmm. about the Six Shrine and whatever. It is awesome. It's one of the best songs they ever did. It's it's the it's the call and response refers to the main synth that's like and then there's just this space. It's like doom 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 like they just. They go back and forth. The drums aren't as interesting, and the song's a little bit more formulaic than sort of some early classic source track. But the bass is fucking massive, and the synths are just like perfectly creepy. And 
when I was a kid, Blade was one of the coolest movies I'd ever seen, so... So, when I went to go see Blade, since it was, like, you know, it was very early on in comic book movies, mm. and I knew who Blade was, mainly because he was in some of the uh, 90s Spider-Man cartoons, okay. and I really wasn't that into reading comics yet, because I was very young and not very good at reading, but... We, me and uh, a childhood buddy of mine and his mother went to go see Blade. And you know in the very first scene? The with rave? The, the, yeah, the raid yeah. with the bloodbath. Sorry if you haven't seen Blade. It's there been it years. Yeah. Um, as soon as that happened, she got up and walked the fuck out. Well, it's funny too because that song is... It's a song by New Order called Confusion, which is one of their classic songs and it's really good. But it's the pump panel remix and you would not even recognize it other than the vocal sample and the song that says Confusion. Uh, as a New Order song, but it's a boom, ba do boom, do It's ten minutes long. I had the Blade soundtrack because I bought it, trying to get this fucking Source Strike song, and you can't imagine the disappointment. That was another one. The soundtrack was songs from the movie and inspired by. It was like three songs that were in the movie, and then ten terrible late '90s like awful rap songs, and then a handful of. Um, decent big beat. There was Junkie XL, Expansion Union, and there was like one other, one or two other good songs on there that were like pretty cool electronic music. <laughs> but there was no source direct, and I was so devastated. And I'm like listening to these rap songs, like thinking, what is I bought this? this, I bought this, I'm gonna listen to this shit, I'm gonna learn to fucking like it. But what the fuck? Wesley and Snipes is trying to play Blade again. Nice. Yeah. Or maybe not, but we'll see. Yeah, and. He's broke. He needs the money. So there, there's a uh, the. It's a classic album, as far as it was sort of. It's not really the zenith of Source Direct. They did a a different EP leading up to the album that the name escapes me. I think it's like Computer Warfare, and there's a it's some of the same songs and then some better B sides on it. Honestly, if you can grab that, that's the one to grab, because there are some weak weaker tracks on here to my taste it's a mixture of production style and then also just like lazy production and songwriting wanton conduct and love and hate and then there's one other one that i think it's uh i can't remember but they're just like on an album that only has seven songs i skip three of them every time right but there's capital d which is really good and there's technical warfare which is really good and concealed identity all of which are have like really nice build-ups. They never break into like huge all-in crushing stuff like Tech Edge again, but they they build dread and atmosphere in a way that like basically no other drum and bass artist could. They just really like sinister sci-fi cyberpunk sounding kind of shit almost. And then there is the best song they ever wrote, as far as I'm concerned, which is called Mind Weaver. And maybe it's because I'm biased and I love the almond break, but that's in there in spades, and it just has this sneaking. Like, there's this electronic stab that's like... And it's it changes in pitch and volume. So it points in the song, it's, like, really brutal sounding, and then it, like, kind of snakes back out. It is fucking phenomenal. And again, an album worth buying for one song. It's the second track on there. Absolutely killer. I was super disappointed. I've had the CD forever. Like I said, it's been in my car for ages. And I was in Seattle... A couple months ago and it was at a record store in Seattle they had the vinyl copy totally clean for 30 bucks and I had bought so many records on my trip that I could not justify another purchase even though I like deeply desired this album and it sells for so much more online and I really really wanted to get it but I just like could not walk back into my 
room and have my delightful girlfriend look at me and say like really one more fucking album like I just I couldn't even bear the embarrassment because I had you know so much stuff worth uh, to bring back but the CD is still super available it's really reasonably priced most places you can probably get a pretty clean CD copy and it's definitely worth it for 10 bucks or even 20 it's a good album not every track is perfect but all the good ones are absolute classics and it's way cheaper than pretty much everything else as far as old Source Direct records go. Their reputation really picked up steam about, what's it, 2018? So maybe eight years ago, I think Black Sever Black brought them back into the, the, the British electronic sort of um, mindset and got the one of the guys who still goes under the name Source Direct, even though it was originally a duo, still DJ's stuff, and they, they sort of brought a new awareness into what they did. And now that a lot of the people that were doing tons of drugs 20 years ago are adults and have kids and whatever, and probably more income, these records have become super collectible. And they've done some re-releases, but a lot of the stuff is never gonna get repressed. And you're talking about drum and bass records that were kinged by DJs. So to find like clean copies of this stuff anymore, it's like trying to find, you know, 40 year old comic books where it's just like they just get worn out. And if you do find them, it's wildly expensive. Yeah, you, they're so expensive, you barely want to touch it. Yeah. So that is my, those are my disco box recommendations. And yeah, that's what I got. Disco box. So uh, this week I have a Best Buy, and it uh, partially directly relates to. Uh, your disco box because while playing it I had been listening to Overlook so um, I went out let me preface it with this one of my favorite games ever growing up was Spider-Man 2 which was the movie video game tie-in for the movie of the same name Doc Ock yeah the the game changed a lot for Spider-Man games I mind you before (laughs) this I was very much into Spider-Man games there was like I think one of them was called like Revenge of Electro, which I really enjoyed. What was the one on N64? Probably not good. I didn't play it. I only played them for like PS1 and PS2. And then like, there were some later ones. But anyway, like the first ones I remember loving and you could, in like the earlier PS1s, you could get all these different costumes and then each costume would have a different power. And then I think in Revenge of Electro, you could like pick a costume and then pick a power to go onto it. So you could like take the power from like a different costume and switch them up so you could, you know, still look whatever way you want to look but still have the perk of having whatever power. And then they came out with Spider-Man 2, which revolutionized the way that you swung around a city as Spider-Man. Um, and I haven't played it recently, but I have recently watched some gameplay footage, and the game does look rough. But I still, I would, I would love to play it again if I can get a copy of it. What, of Spider-Man 2? Yeah, Spider-Man 2. Because that game was just, it was fun. It was, the, I liked, the story was the movie, which was fine. But I just wanted to swing around and, like, happen upon random crimes and fucking take them out. And that's what I wanted to do. Yeah. So, recently, Insomniac Games uh, with Marvel produced Spider-Man for PS4. And I'd been looking forward to this game for a while. Was there, was there hype? There was a insane amount of hype. In fact, it's one of the sell- fastest-selling games ever right now. Wow. I think... In, I don't know if it's outsold God of War yet. I'd have to look into that. But the game is selling like fucking gangbusters. And just like every other PS4 exclusive is poking 
so much fun via meme at Xbox users. And it's hilarious. Like, I've seen stills with um, Spider-Man PS4 graphics, and it's, like, from the game, and then it's uh, Spider-Man Xbox graphics, and it's Lego Spider-Man swinging through the city, <laughs> which is just, just tickles my funny bones. But the game itself, it's super polished. It looks absolutely gorgeous. The photo capture feature is awesome. It's it's so good. I got this. I got to show it to you, Dick Fetty. I got a picture of uh, Spider-Man sitting on top of a cross on a church, and the sun is like coming in from like the bottom of the cross, and it's really dark, but you can see his eyes glowing, and it it looks like it was in a comic book or something. It's really cool. I really yeah. like, and it's. I think it works with both the fact that Spider-Man is generally a younger man, and in today's selfie-obsessed culture, it makes sense that he would take fun pictures. He's also a photographer for the right. Google, so... But I just... I, I've played around with it a little bit myself, and I'm like, oh, this is fun. Yeah, you can go this into is cool. selfie mode. It's like there's a... It's almost like Instagram, because there's a ton of different filters you can put on it. You can add borders and stickers and stuff. But the game itself is just really well-polished. You can look in people's windows. I haven't seen anybody in any of them. The, the graffiti around the city of New York looks very good and doesn't look just like someone who doesn't know anything about graffiti trying to draw graffiti. Um, there's landmarks throughout the whole thing. The swinging of the game is super satisfying, especially like just landing the right way and then jumping and then web zipping and keeping swinging. It is it's, fucking awesome. It's Once you start to get the hang of it, you're like, oh... Yeah. Why would I go to the mission right now? Because you see this sick shit I'm doing right now? Exactly. This is. Um, the fighting in it is very similar to uh, the Arkham series. I don't want to call it a clone because that's a bit unfair. Um, the fighting in Arkham... The last one I played was Arkham Knight. Seemed a little bit easier. Um, the... The combat in this is seems to be a little bit harder... I'm not saying I'm bad or good at video games, but I have died a few times in combat, and I don't see that as a bad thing. The game's not ridiculously hard, but it's also not ridiculously easy. There is collectathons, like there is in any. Well, let me let me stop you there. So, you know, it's hard to say who exactly. I know that the original Arkham, whatever it was, what was the first Arkham game? Uh, Arkham Asylum or. Arkham Asylum. Was yeah. it Arkham Asylum? Yeah, so I, I haven't played any of them except for the last Arkham game I played briefly when you brought it over to my house. But I know that Yakuza has a somewhat similar system, a little bit. It's not quite as fluid, but it's and I think it's more fluid now than it was, and it's mirrors Arkham and Spider-Man similar too. But basically the way I look at it is like they've turned combat into a rhythm action game where you have to like sort of look at what's coming and there's a certain amount of strategy and all the rest, but it's also just like timing your buttons right, which is basically almost any combat system in any game of when can I, when should I cancel an attack versus when I shouldn't and whatever. But it becomes really fun because when you're in the flow of it, it's just like button press, you know, different button press and just sort of timing everything to get the best results and then being able to like have enough reflexes to change your plan as it, you know, a new enemy comes up or somebody starts to shoot at you or whatever. But when you're in the zone with it, it's like, it basically feels like kicking ass on DDR. Right, and nothing will ever feel as good as being a superhero and kicking somebody off of a building. Right. 
There are. And that's not really what Spider Man would normally do. I'm sure he'd fling a web down there to catch him, but. Uh. So there, <laughs> there's many missions, right? You've got these hideouts for uh, Wilson Fisk's, the Kingpin's goons, right? And each of these little missions, you have added bonuses where if you complete these two minor tasks while you're doing this thing, you'll get extra credits or whatever, things that you use to boost Spider-Man or buy costumes, things of that ilk. And one of them was... Can you replay the missions? You can. Some of them. uh, Which I'll get into. But um, there was one where one of the mini missions or side missions while I'm taking this whole compound out is to knock five enemies off of the building. So I was exceedingly happy. I was hoping... Maybe, and maybe there is late, late game, uh, but I was hoping that you could just literally swing and grab somebody. I can't remember if that was in Spider-Man 2 or one of the other ideations that came after it, but I loved doing that in one of the older games. I would just, there'd be a crime and I'd swing and grab one of them, beat them up, leave them on a building, and then go back down and take everybody else out. But there, what I, what I was saying about collectathons is every time I love a game, um, I say to myself, I'm going to do this. I'm going to collect everything. I'm going to 100%. I'm going to platinum it. And I get about halfway through, and I decide it's too hard, and it's stupid, and not really worth it. I think I might have 100%ed that Mad Max game of all games. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Weird, right? Yeah, I'm pretty sure that I did. Because it wasn't that hard. There wasn't any crazy stupid shit like there was in Vice City. I just think of the dirt bike tricks you had to do in Vice City, and that was like yeah. fucking impossible. So there's, mind you, I'm still early game, and that's mainly because I just love swinging around the city. I love swinging around the city, doing crimes, searching for collectibles. Now, much like most modern open world games, sandbox games, you have to find a point which will unlock the map, which does seem a bit strange considering the fact that Spider-Man is in his eighth year of being Spider-Man in the game. So that seems a bit off because he should know New York perfectly by now, but whatever. That opens up all the unlockables. Now, you actually have to go to find them, but they're on your map, so it doesn't feel like a task. And on top of it, there's a few that you do. One of them is backpacks, and each backpack that you get has a token from the Spider-Man universe or lore behind it, which is really nice. And you can go into your inventory and you look at them. If you bring them up so you can like spin them around, look at them in a 3D way, uh, Peter Parker says something about it. Oh, this is from this, this is from that, this is from this fight, which, even though Spider-Man is so steeped in mythology already, it's it's nice. It it feels good. Yeah. It's a game that's already got a show to build some more, so you, you care if you care. Right, and there are other side missions where one of them revolves around Black Cat, and it makes sense because when you collect all these things... She leaves you a new suit. Now, there's a ton of different suits in the game. I'm not going to tell you what they are because I am firmly believed in the fact that if you want to play this game and you truly want to enjoy it, look nothing up. Look up no guides. You don't need to. The game isn't that confusing. Just play the game. Really get into it. Get into the nitty-gritty of being Spider-Man. Stop listening. Go play it. Exactly. You have to roam around the city looking for things of hers. When you get all the backpacks, you get the suit from Spider-Man Homecoming before Tony Stark gave him a suit where it's got the 
circular shutter eyes and the hoodie and everything, which is really nice. Um, and the best part about the game for me, other than the storyline, which is fantastic, which I'm not going to even go into, it is based on a specific Spider-Man comic, partially, which I'm not going to mention because I don't want to give anything away for anybody, but you can just swing around. I can put on music, not have to worry about dialogue or anything. I can just stop random crimes or go collect stuff. There's other side missions where you have to find these research stations. Some of them are similar, but some of them are really fun. There is one where you got to control the spider drone, and you're just running around the city, weaving between people's legs and scaring them and shit, which was a lot of fun and a pretty nice surprise for me. Like I said, I haven't beaten the game yet, but it's all I can think about right now because it's that much fun. Yeah. The storyline is great, but if you want to stop the storyline, you can and just roam around the city. And in the game, Spider-Man will actually say to himself after you do a mission, maybe I should swing around the city and see what's going on. And it's another hour, hour and a half, however much time. It's not a short span of time before he'll say, oh, I need to go do this thing for main quest. Which is nice because... You know, you're not swinging around the city and being constantly hammered by, oh, I need to go do this thing, I need to go do this thing, I need to go do this thing. Let's you have your fun. Right. The character designs are very good. There are some characters that make surprise appearances, which I'm not going to go into because I was very happy when I saw them in the game. And it has a lot of potential for future games and other characters that can be in it. There are landmarks throughout the city. Um... Some of them are from the comic books, some of them are just New York landmarks, which is really good deep cuts for people who really like the game, the, the comics, not the games. I highly recommend it. It might be my game of the year, I'm not sure yet. I've It's definitely in the top three. The top three for me are Zelda Breath of the Wild, well, let's say four. I thought uh, that came out last year. Did it? Maybe you're right. Maybe it did come out last year. I think it did. Mm. Mario Odyssey, then? That came out this year, right? came out in February, I think. So, Mar- the, fine, this year, Mario Odyssey, God of War, which was incredible, and this game. I mean, even in the, those other games, which I absolutely love, and they're some of the best video games I've played in years, even Breath of the Wild, which really changed the way I looked at video games, because game design-wise and world-building-wise, the game is essentially perfect. But it got tedious after a while. And while doing these things in Spider-Man can be tedious, these collectathons and things, it's not that hard to go after these things. And at the same time, if you don't want to do this thing, you can do this other thing. <clears throat> so the research centers, they're technically a collectathon, but at the same time, there are many missions. And there's also side missions throughout the game that you can go and you can help somebody that are pretty interesting. And the game looks good. So I definitely 110% recommend buying it. It is still going to be full price. Even used will probably be a pretty chunk of change for a while. There are no microtransactions. Uh, I spent more money than I should have on Arkham Knight buying costumes. Like, dollars at a time. Nothing big, but I just wanted to see Batman floating around in them. There's none of that in this. And Insomniac knows that that's a bad thing, and they're trying to change that by putting out this game with no microtransactions. There is DLC coming out, 
One is called The City That Never Sleeps. I believe it's based around Black Hat. I will most likely be buying it because I'm having so much fun with this game. And hopefully it is a path towards future superhero games that will also be good. And Insomniac has said they are opening to working with Marvel again on different superheroes. Cool. Yeah, man. Yeah. It's a good game, especially if you just want to listen to music and just be Spider-Man. Yeah, it's basically, it's, I mean, I've played it a little bit, it was a lot of fun, and it reminds me of, GTA V was really only fun, like, later game, because they closed so much shit off, and their money is such a bigger component of that one, but it is, when you get to the end of GTA V, it's like, just gonna do whatever you want, and I think there are a lot of people who share that enjoyment of, like, I'm gonna get my super souped up car, I'm gonna drive as fast as I can on the highway till I crash and die, or I decide to stop and kill a bunch of people, or whatever, but listen to music, chill the fuck out, and just be able to enjoy this massively detailed world, and that's it. So yeah, exactly. The, it's it's nice. I I'm so I keep putting off storyline because I just want to swing around and stop crimes and collect shit and take pictures of landmarks. Nice. Well, this has been the first episode of the bearded dicks adventure or something the bearded dicks musical fun time musical fun time so thank you for joining us for this this new new quality content and we will be back with another wonderful episode i think we're going to be covering our favorite horror movies on the next full motel hell so look forward to that and as always you can reach us on instagram at motel podcast or facebook at motel podcast and uh, rate and review on iTunes if you can. Ben runs the Facebook, so you can always message him, or you can message me at, at the uh, Instagram, or even friend my private account, which is Dick. No, it's not Dick Fetty. It should Con- be Concrete Mascara, which is it's really more to do with my band. But uh, if you're interested in that awful shit, then check that out too. But yeah, thanks for listening, and we will we'll be back later, nerds. Later.